Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. One Broken Mom is a adult podcast. That means this is not something you put on with the kids and sit around the room as a family around the dinner table. Um, I am an adult. My guests are adults, and we do like to use adult language every once in a while. So if you have sensitive ears to certain words, I assure you that I do not cuss like a sailor. However, um, sometimes the right word has to be used to describe the moment and the emotion at the time. Hi there, everyone. Welcome again to One Broken Mom Radio. I actually, I know this is a podcast, but I really like the word radio. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's because of my age or something like that. And podcast just doesn't really roll off the tongue as well as I'd hoped it would. Um, tonight is, um, or actually this episode that we've got, we're actually recording it in the evening. We're here at Beehive Sound in Snohomish, Washington. I've actually got a couple of guests with me this evening to, um, to talk about a subject that is um, one of my kind of key areas of... Um, of awareness and um, what I want to be able to get more people uh, feeling comfortable and having it as a topic. And that is on suicide. And um, my two guests tonight are going to share some insight with um, what it's like to live through the experience of having suicide close to your family. Um, Like I told you guys that uh, One Broken Mom is here to talk about Um, the litany of things that we undergo through our lives um, as we grow up into adults and as parenthoods and stuff like that, and that we are going to have these um, brave, open conversations about moms and broken moms. Um, Tonight, our episode is called Broken Beyond Repair, and um, John and Matt Kaplan are brothers, and they're going to uh, share with us um, what it's like when um, mom... Um, gets to a place in her life where um, going on was no longer an option for her. And, um, you know, one of the things that is really compelling for me when we talk about suicide, um, especially when we talk about women in suicide, is that women are three times more likely to attempt suicide than men. Um, What we do know is that men are more successful at it, and that's probably because of the methods that they choose to use. More men choose to use guns. Women choose to use things like pills. Um, In fact, in the U.S., there are approximately 25 suicides attempts to every one suicide. And that's about 1.3 million people each year that are undertaking this tremendous um, and very uh, sad step of, of choosing to end their life because they just can't see a way of being able to go on. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, and it's double the number of deaths by homicide that we have in the U.S. And so the reason why... For me, this is a topic when we talk about mental health that we need to be to be aware of is the fact that we can genuinely, as people, save more lives in this country by understanding 
that, for one, suicide happens a lot more than we are aware of. I think with um, the media not covering it, and I think also, as um, as John, Matt, and I talked about earlier this evening, there's an awkward conversation to be had when addressing suicide, and a lot of people don't feel comfortable asking their friends or discussing what's happened to them. And so it's uh, it's a taboo topic. And we're hoping that tonight, by having this conversation between the three of us, that um, we can remove a little bit of the fear of being able to talk about it and and be able to pull something out of this that other families that are maybe in the midst of experiencing um, the the pain that goes along with having a loved one that's has that you know kind of despair in them um, and get something out of this experience that they can use to to help them or you know in the case when we sit here this evening and, and chat about this. What do you do as a person who's experienced it, and how do you move on with that, and what can other people learn from this experience? So um, I would like to introduce to you John and Matt Kaplan. Thank you very much, guys, for for coming tonight. Greetings. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, So, you know... There's three phases. There's like a story arc to our interview that tonight that I want to cover. Um, one, we're going to talk about your mom. I'd like to hear about her and um, what life was for your mom. And because one of the pieces of broken one broken mom is to talk about this intergenerational aspect to it, um, you know, be able to share with it a little bit about your mom's history. And then, you know, as we move through this, we're going to, you know, get into the, the moments, you know, of you guys living with her and then um, carry through that. Um, what are some of the things that you know people that are listening to this can to, can hear from your experience of what they should know if they're in the same situation or what they might be thinking about as an adult in that? And so, um, I'd like you know don't care which one of you guys starts, um, but tell us first. Talk to me, John. Who who are you and um, how old are you and um, what do you do? Thirty three years old, uh, snowmobile based photographer. <clears throat> Matt, tell us about you. Uh, 37. Um, I've worked in the insurance industry uh, most of my adult life. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about your mom. Um, let's start off with you know you're the oldest, Matt. Um, you uh, probably, as we were talking earlier, um, have some more memories than than John does. You know ever. Um, what do you remember about about your mom? Uh, I, I remember that she. Uh, had some emotional struggles at times. Uh, she would definitely get low, uh, but by and large, for the most part, she was a very happy person. Uh, she loved arts and crafts. She loved uh, to play all kinds of sports. Uh, she was, you know, an excellent mom, a great family member. Pretty much everybody that knew her loved her, and uh, and had nothing but good things to say. Um, yeah, she was she was a lovely person. What's your memories of your mom? My memories of my mom, um, definitely, I mean, I agree with everything Matt said, uh, but definitely uh, remember kind of the ups and downs, kind of the the bipolar side of things from time to time and um, having stretches that were really great and stretches where she was under a great deal of stress and you could definitely pick up on that and Mm -hmm. kind of almost have that weight on you as well sometimes yeah did you guys uh during the course of you know um growing up did you feel anything that was going on for you was unusual from what other families had or did it did it feel like at the time this was a this was normal i would say somewhat normal um i I got the impression that you know real life was happening to most families um you know I i got to you know 
I, I had friends that I was really close with, really close with their families, and I saw that there was some you know tension in families uh, elsewhere, and so I, I felt relatively normal. Uh, I would say that there were times where things got uh, a little bit extreme, um, and so I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe assumed that other people dealt with that, but that was things that happened behind their closed doors. Um, but yeah, I, I would say I felt somewhat normal. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, um, you know, have periodically have, you know, thoughts cross your mind where you might, you know, go into someone else's house and just have a general sense of like peace and stability that maybe seemed a little foreign at times. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a lightness in the air that, um, sometimes, you know, obviously dealing, dealing with some of the ups and downs and some of the emotional stuff that, that we did um, wasn't really there. So you, you kind of notice that difference sometimes, but um, for the most part, I mean, you know, it's, you know, the the one, you know, the life I've lived so far is kind of like, you know, um, I don't really have a lot to compare it to. So um, right. yeah. I didn't really do a lot of comparisons with, with other families. And yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you know about what your mom's life was like growing up? Um, well, when she died, we were still relatively young and to an extent, I think we were kind of sheltered from some things. Um, but it was a bit of a mixed bag. For the most part, what I heard was positive. Um, you know, we were told about, you know, her being a happy kid and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But we were also told, uh, about a lot of difficulties, uh, that she had as a child, um, you know, her her parents uh, had a lot of marital difficulties. Uh, there was a lot of fighting. Uh, her dad was a World War II veteran uh, who came home and had PTSD issues. Tank driver, um, right? Uh, yeah, tank commander. Or tank commander. And uh, and oh, wow. yeah, and he had he had a lot of emotional stresses uh, that he brought home with him. A kind of a, a short fuse, a very strong. Uh, individual and at times you know clearly it had an impact on uh you know our grandma uh mom's mom and um mom's sibling so you know she was uh the second oldest uh there were five children she had four brothers um and you know all of them clearly you know suffered some uh some slings and arrows from the uh you know, grandpa coming home from the war and having some difficulties. Yeah. One of the things that I like to make sure that we cover with um, One Broken Mom is the fact that we we tend to parent from what we were taught, mm-hmm. and that ends up having this kind of chain that gets created generation by generation by generation. And, and so it's kind of important, um, you know, we're going to talk about you guys and, you know, the impact of your mom on you. Um, but what do you think was your mom's, you know, the predecessor and the impacts from her parents and maybe possibly into that, into, you know, into what ended up influencing her and kind of creating the mom that she became? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I know that, um, you know, from the stories that I heard uh, about our, uh, my mom and her siblings, you know, their childhood, uh, that it was it definitely um, 
a lot of struggle. You know, there was uh, some alcohol abuse in the family, um, uh, a lot of yelling and screaming arguments. I think there was a story about, you know, a shotgun being fired in the house, you know. Wait, so, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Grandpa was a wily one. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so it just... When when you have those traumatic experiences and they happen to a child at an early age, they don't know how to put it together. Uh, you know, oftentimes if they seek help in therapy, it's probably not for years. Uh, and so that is something that can certainly bleed through uh, into their life and affect them in ways, um, you know, in a lot of different ways uh, for a lot of years and something that can easily be passed on to their children. Did you see any patterns, you know, when you hear some stories about how your mom grew up and then um, you see her as a mother, did mm-hmm. you see any parallels then between, you know, some of the things? I think we talked about your grandfather's PTSD mm-hmm. and sometimes there, sometimes not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that something that you felt like that was definitely something that might have been passed down through your mom or, you know, a behavior that you saw with your mom? Most of the time, I would say that she was pretty even keel, uh, but there were certainly times where, um, yeah, she could kind of fly off the handle a little bit. Um, but more than anything, I would say it's just kind of the persistent, uh, you know, issue that probably, um, you know, caused a lot of her bipolar issues. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned that um, when she would have those uh, very depressed uh, spells where she wouldn't want to get up, get out of bed. Uh, they would last sometimes for weeks or, um, you know, a month or two. Um, I just, I, I remember constantly hearing, you know, stories about her childhood and, uh, you know, over the years we would go to church and, you know, she would talk to an elder, you know, kind of a thing or go to a therapist. And it was just one of those things where I periodically heard it from time to time. Um, you know, the issues of her childhood just stuck with her, you know, here she is, she's in her forties and when she's feeling depressed and and on the low end of that bipolar disorder um those are the things that keep coming to her mind yeah and so and your mom was how old when she committed suicide 48 48 yeah when we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording the podcast you mentioned that before she died she kind of spiraled very quickly um, and, and so do you want to share, like, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about periods of ups and downs. Those all seemed normal. They seemed okay. Nothing seemed life-threatening at that point. But then something happened, and this happened shortly before she ended up killing herself. Right. Um, she ended up injuring her back and uh, got a prescription for some pain pills. And she began abusing those pain pills, uh, taking far too many of them. And it, it was clear. I mean, there were times where she looked high um and uh and then when we tried to uh control how frequently she could get those pain pills uh she basically went out and started buying alcohol and kind of combining the two and and things definitely spiraled pretty quickly yeah and how long was this time period that you remember like how long the, this whole downward spiral months weeks days a couple of months couple three of months, months. say so yeah 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 um, and had she had any problems with um, drugs or alcohol before this point? That, that, I mean, I know you guys were kids, so I mean, mm-hmm. but as far as that you saw or witnessed. I don't remember seeing, like, no, definitely I, I not wouldn't drugs, say drugs. Uh, no. outside, you know, like, obviously, you know, near the end there, the pills, yeah. but, um, and I never noticed any, you know, nights 
yeah, I would sloppy say, with alcohol. You know, like yeah, I mean, occasional social drinks, stuff like that. But beyond that, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say she had any problems there. I think there were a couple of times where I would notice that there would be empty wine bottles around. Uh, yeah, that's you know, like everybody's house right now. Guilty. I guess what I would say is most of the Sean's time... Sean's shaking his head in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the way we are. <laughs> well, most of the time I wouldn't notice that kind of thing. But in the, uh, the times when she would be dealing with depression, suddenly, you know, there would be accumulations of uh, empty wine bottles from time to time yeah do you think that um when you noticed that your mom was kind of in a down you became more vigilant did you feel that like a need i mean you 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 just talked about mentioning that you suddenly started to cue in on things did you find yourself like getting into this mode of now i've got to be keeping an eye on her um i would say it was more more an uh empathetic response uh just uh, clearly um you know she was dealing with depression um, she would be, you know, just in a funk, in a in a malaise. Uh, she wouldn't want to go anywhere or do anything. And so I would say it was more just kind of an emotional response to that. Uh, like my brother said, it was just c- trying to do little things, uh, you know, hugs and, you know, just kind of being there for her. But as kids, and at this point, a lot of the time we were, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, uh, there was no way that we were equipped to have a conversation that was going to be helpful to her without being detrimental to us. Yeah, right. Understood. Um, So she ended up killing herself, and you were about 12 12, and about 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Almost Um, 15. I'm going to talk a little bit about that day that that happened. Mm -hmm. One of you can chime in. So, um, I was, so from what I recall, so she'd gone, so her personal belongings were still at the house. Um, and I don't, I don't, Matt, I don't, I know there was a note. I don't know if it was probably out. Um, but from what I recall, you know, purse keys, stuff like that out. So obviously there was, it was a little bit alarming. And so I was staying with, uh, my uncle, her brother, um, and, um, at some point he ended up getting a phone call. I was there the whole weekend and, uh, something set him off and he just kind of bolted and left me there. Um, and then several hours later, next thing I know, uh, my two brothers, my uncle, my dad come in, didn't even know really what was going on. Um, you know, clearly people have been crying. Um, and I think at this point my brothers hadn't really been let in the loop yet, nor had I. So, um, yeah, pretty damn heavy moment, moment one I will never forget, but yeah, just kind of my dad, it, uh, pretty quickly, clearly something was wrong, kind of sat us down on the couch and just kind of like laid it out. And it was like pretty surreal moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely one of those things you just, yeah, you don't forget that. Right, right. Yeah. The bomb went off. Yeah. We right. talked about that. It's like... Shell shock is, yeah, very appropriate to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did everybody kind of go on after that? Um, my dad was trying to be strong for us and, uh, you know, trying to figure out everything that had to happen from there. Uh, just to kind of keep things afloat, keep things working. 
Um, uh, for me, I, I remember feeling, yeah, just shell-shocked for a while. Um, I was dealing with insomnia after that for, for quite some time. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't sleep, couldn't focus at school. It was, it was definitely hard. A lot of strain on the family. Yeah. Yeah, my dad was, uh, and you know, he's a was a very strong individual to be able to kind of carry on and not only deal with his own trauma, but basically, you know, here he is being kind of like a culturally like a traditional father breadwinner, and then all of a sudden, flip of a switch, um, now stepping into uh, not only just resuming his roles as a father, but now laundry dinner um you know it was a lot to take on um so i know he was just trying his best but um i think for him um being that rock for us he wanted to be strong and i think a big part of that was um maybe just kind of controlling his emotions and just being stoic and um not maybe not being so vulnerable emotionally with us and creating opportunities of vulnerability and dialogue where we could have talked and been kind of in that intimate moment together and open up about how we were feeling. I think uh, a general kind of tactic I think that we all kind of took on maybe modeled after our dad was just that um you know it was definitely very difficult and painful to talk about and maybe beyond a few passing comments you know about missing her um we didn't necessarily talk about it a whole lot and i think for us that was just easier just to kind of keep it quiet and silent yeah. and just kind of move on and now right. as we get older i mean we still uh you know maybe talk about it a little bit more but um yeah, it was. I think that was definitely kind of. I think his approach um, and kind of holding things together and just doing the best that he could. And um, did after this happened, you know, um, I would be sitting there thinking, I, I need to get my kids in to see a counselor or a therapist. Did anything like that happen mm-hmm. for you guys? Uh, yeah, I went to go see a counselor uh, for a few months after that. I well, actually I saw two counselors. Yeah, and how'd that experience go for you? Uh, for me, I I feel like I didn't get a lot out of it just because at that time I wasn't quite sure how to feel about anything, and so I wasn't very open and uh, communicative with the therapist. Um, yeah, I, I he would occasionally even you know ask me things, and I would just kind of I think deflect. Um, I, I still kind of had my guard up and protecting my soft little underbelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I would say the first therapist that I went to, I, I didn't really get a lot out of it just because I, I, I wasn't opening myself up to even kind of really be helped. Um, and then I stopped seeing that therapist. Uh, and then after probably two or three months, uh, a gap of not seeing anybody, I, I went and saw a therapist uh, that friends recommended uh who was far more aggressive in her approach so she didn't exactly let me throw up the guard (laughs) and get away with not kind of opening up and talking about it um and i I probably still didn't get as much out of it as i could have if i was you know to put my 
my current head and that body, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Uh, just because I still feel like I just wasn't emotionally equipped to even understand what I was feeling. And I was still somewhat emotionally, um, you know, kind of shell-shocked where I didn't even understand exactly how I was feeling. Um I, I mean, I, it was clearly affecting me. I was having a lot of insomnia issues for a while. I was probably averaging about ten hours of sleep a week. Um, I, can't even I was, imagine. yeah, I, I was, I was basically failing in school uh, because I couldn't even make it to all of my classes uh, because I wasn't sleeping. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I remember. I remember just laying awake all night, just thinking about all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, just one of the things that would keep me awake at night was just thinking that, uh, you know, I was I was always a little bit of a mama's boy. And uh, just, you know, thinking of those big moments in life, uh, getting married, you know, graduating from college, having kids. And I just, I remember four months after she died, just laying in bed and just thinking, what on earth? So she's not going to be there for any of that. Yeah, that's pretty... That's pretty profound. Yeah. yeah. It was hard to know how to put any of that into context. Yeah, absolutely. How about you? For me, yeah. I mean, I was a little bit younger, um, being 12. And uh, I, like, I remember even for days, weeks afterwards, just being kind of like, almost feeling like a zombie. Just kind of, I mean, something like that, something so profound and sudden, um, it is like a bombing drop. You know, a 12 year old is not emotionally equipped to handle something like that. So, uh, for me, it was definitely just completely overwhelming processing something like that. And, uh, and you didn't, you didn't go to I a didn't, counselor. Yeah. Because I didn't show a lot of symptoms of, of, uh, of needing to go, you know, like, you know, reaching out, struggling, crying, you know, like, you know, didn't have the insomnia problems. Um, so to my dad, um, all seemed well and Mm. I didn't ask. So, um, I didn't go. Right. Um, as much like in hindsight, I think that would have been pretty valuable. Um, Kind of like Matt said, I don't know like what those sessions would have looked like because again, I was twelve. I don't know if I would have been able to even articulate the things that I was feeling. Um, but uh, yeah, I felt pretty uh, pretty broadsided and detached from the whole experience. It was pretty surreal. Um, yeah. Yeah, understandably. Um, so today. Now that you're many years past, 20 years after everything that's happened, what do you think that that influence has happened to you? Now that you've got your adult head, like you said, you know, working for you, um, what do you see that you think is, we talked about it as baggage, you know, what luggage Mm -hmm. do you think you're still carrying with you today as an adult that may be the effect of all of that? Um. Well, I was talking to my brother about this a couple of months ago. Um, I think it's interesting that as a 15-year-old kid laying in bed, you know, afraid to go to sleep, afraid of having a nightmare or something like that, and just thinking, you know, you know, those big moments in life, graduating from college, getting married, having kids, you know, mom's not going to be there. Uh, you know, I, 
I realize now I'm 37 years old. Um, I haven't been married. I haven't had kids, and I didn't graduate from college. So I, I, you, you know, think you I don't avoided wanna, those things. Well, I don't know. I, I think that you know, it's rewarding. Um, you know, impressing your parents and you know whatever. Um, you you want to be able to do those things, you know, for yourself, but for them too, kind of a thing. And yeah, just I, I don't know. I. I just remember for months laying in bed, you know, thinking, wow, you know, she's not going to be there for any of that. And then I didn't do any of those things. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a connection. How about you? So obviously, um, yeah, our connection with our moms are very, very important. Um, And not really having that opportunity, like uh, as an adult, as a teenager even, uh, to have that, um, my my experience in interacting with women um, was pretty stunted. Um, but uh, for me, um, I've always been a bit mystified by women. <laughs> I think that's probably most men, though. But <laughs> <laughs> probably to be fair. <laughs> yeah, that's let's fair. be real. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me. Um, so I don't know. I've kind of, I've read about this, and I can't really quote where or anything, but um, just with some people, um, when traumas occur, there's almost kind of like a, like that moment and that, that person that you are is kind of like preserved and in stasis with you the rest of your life, mm-hmm. you know? So Especially always, when it's as a child. For me, like, the, you know, like I'll probably, there will always kind of be like a, like a little 12-year-old boy inside of me. That, and for me, um, probably the most noticeable impact is um, probably uh, with breakups, relationships, um, obviously. Um, more, uh, more prominently when it's being left, you know, mm-hmm. being broken up with. Um, because the parallels there with, um, with the su- suicide is obviously a choice. It's, it's in a form of abandonment and, uh, with, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody and they make that choice, uh, it kind of brings that, uh, to the surface and stirs those back yeah, up and relationships, man. I mean, being broken up with is the pits. Uh, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's already just an amazingly powerful thing to go through um going separate ways with somebody you care about but then uh imagine being uh <laughs> being broadsided with um these feelings that come bubbling up that um are equally powerful mm-hmm. if not more so i mean i don't know and, and then you have the two of them coming together and it's it's uh it makes things very confusing and difficult at times um but the one thing is, is so i've been in a lot quite a few relationships um all very uh very awesome experiences um for whatever reason you know you know however they fell apart i'm grateful for each and every one of them but um for everyone for each time it fell apart it gave me an opportunity to uh you know when those feelings did surface it gave me an opportunity to face it 
um, go to therapy. Um, these feelings that I had maybe suppressed years ago as a kid came bubbling up to the surface, and it gives me an opportunity to um, kind of stare it down a little bit and work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than digging around and excavating and rubbing some dirt in it, ser- well, just searching, <laughs> you know, like uh, the mind is pretty interesting how it can suppress things and it can make uh, therapy work very difficult mm-hmm. if you have done that. Um, but um, for me, when you know, when these when these breakups have occurred and I'm kind of. Uh, you know, face to face with some of the stuff again, it actually gives me this pretty important time where I can kind of, uh, I don't know, the feelings are at the surface again. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of problem solve and troubleshoot some of these things and it makes me better. And with, with each breakup, they make a, maybe a little more sense. And I'm able to actually kind of deal with the present trauma at the time rather than both. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, <laughs> Therapy is something that you've still used, or are you? Yeah. Even though you didn't get it at the time, it's something no. as an adult you've yeah, reached and I'm into. Yeah, actively going, and I probably will be for a long. I mean, I think it's an amazing tool. Um, I hate that there's a stigma out there that you know something has to be wrong with you to be going. I think it takes a a great deal of strength to 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 do something like that. Um, it's scary looking inward and um, being, having a very honest discussion with yourself about where you're at it's uh it can be pretty humbling and terrifying at times but um at the end uh for the most part um you'll find that you're a better person you know and that you're you can take care of yourself better you can um live a happier life you can care for the people around you um on a much deeper level so i am a huge proponent for therapy Awesome. Um, you had mentioned something earlier tonight too. I don't know if you want to um, to touch on this, but you know, I had talked about in the introduction for one broken mom the other episode that you know part of this whole series is to you know occasionally touch on these unflattering conversations about childhood, you mm-hmm. know, and not not in an effort to shame or judge or, or you know anything about whatever's happened in our past, but to just kind of be really real and honest mm-hmm. about it. And um, and sometimes it leaves us feeling a little resentful, a little pissed off, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, is it is it fair to say that there are times that you're just kind of like, you know, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> why? You know? WTF. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, just resentful of just the suicide and everything. Yeah, just, I mean, did or it just... Have, have you felt at some point in time where, you know, it, it's obvious we want to we have this great sympathy yeah. for this pain and yeah. suffering that your mom was obviously going right. through and stuff. Um, but I, I do know sometimes you can kind of creep into of like just being a little bit like, uh, you know, I'm not real happy. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I was left with this now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. It, it's a, uh, I remember growing up, um, you know, people would ask you, um, you know, friends or whatever. And like junior high and stuff that, you know, had the nerve to ask me about it um the nerve in a good way or a bad way or no like in a good way like yeah. they were like maybe concerned and curious and just wanted to you know on a friendly level just kind of reach out and connect um but i remember you know sometimes a question would come up like um you know are you mad at her 
And I remember at the time thinking that was kind of just asinine and just, uh, no, I'm not mad at her. Like, you know, I, you know, love her and miss her. And she was, you know, in a lot of pain and stuff. But, uh, to be honest, uh, as an adult, I've definitely had some things, you know, like, for instance, with breakups. And I realize I'm dealing with this two-headed monster rather than just this thing that's in front of me. Um, it can get a little frustrating, just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy thing to deal with sometimes. So it's, it, it can be a little frustrating. I wouldn't say I, there's like maybe, I wouldn't say it goes as far as to say it's resentment, but, um, it can be a little frustrating for sure. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I definitely don't understand. I, I've, I've never felt, uh, any compulsion, uh, for suicide or self-harm. It's something that I don't relate to or understand so i've certainly felt like it was kind of yeah a betrayal um just kind of you know quitting and i i I don't know i I don't really understand it i can't really say that i'm bitter or or angry uh i i I certainly don't understand Mm -hmm. you know and it yeah it, it definitely kind of hurts and you know there were times where uh, as a kid not so much anymore but I I would always just you know wonder uh, was there anything that I could have done differently or you know whatever so there there was a lot of self-doubt a lot of you know self-questioning for a long time Um, and not that introspection is bad but (laughs) no it's not at all introspection's good Matt (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I, I probably could have done without those kinds of heavy questions as a kid right yeah Um, you know so yeah and and yeah as an adult clearly uh, you know the decision she made has had a a lasting impact on me Um, but um, I don't know I I don't know if I would say you know anger or Mm -hmm. certainly not hatred or anything like that right um now that you have this adult head on your body, um, what do you think are, you know, the the point of this wasn't just to tell a story with no results. The results that we want from all of this is um, <laughs> what can other families and people that are listening to this kind of take away, um, especially families that may have somebody in their, like, in their love circle mm-hmm. that is going yeah. through depression and uh, maybe maybe not even diagnosed bipolar, but right. just in dealing with all of this. What are things that these families um, can take away from your experiences to hopefully, you know, maybe intervene to prevent something like this or, you know, move on? So, as, so one thing... Um, I'd like to touch on, uh, like I said, um, I think it's important to know that, uh, so if you, if you have kids and you're dealing with something like this, um, take example, what happened with me, like, um, um, here the suicide occurred and I wasn't necessarily showing symptoms of trauma, uh, being traumatized. Um, just know that, uh, that's, it's not always going to happen. Um, it won't always be easy to see. Yeah, and because, you know, 12-year-olds, younger, whatever. I mean, like, trauma and the way people cope with things is there's just a myriad of ways that we deal with things as people. And uh, if you're expecting, um, like, oh, you know, John's, you know, volunteers over there, like, he needs to see somebody, like... Uh, that that doesn't always happen, um, and uh, I just think one thing to keep in mind is uh, if if 
you know, you do have to face something as horrible as is suicide. Just, um, you know, just sit them down, uh, you know, talk with your kids, um, just tell them the importance of, of therapy and that, uh, whether it's group therapy or whatever, I think it's just a good starting point. Um, and just get them in there, even if they're kind of cold to the idea, I think it's just a really good starting point just to getting people, um, kids opening up and talking about it. Yeah. And for me, I, I, I would definitely say communication. Um, you know, I mean, I, I certainly understand wanting to protect your little kids from things that are a little too adult from them. But, um, you know, if, I think it would have been helpful, useful if we had all sat down, had more family discussions, uh, you know, while mom was still with us. Um, if you see somebody that's hurting... I think it's really easy for us all uh, to say, well, maybe I'm misreading the signs. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, I don't want an awkward conversation uh, because I ask somebody, uh, you know, hey, are you okay? You seem like you're not doing so well. You know, can I help? Whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll just want to kind of be standoffish and uh, assume that things will get better on their own. Uh, and I think that. Um, if nothing else, if you see somebody that just seems like uh, they're hurting, that they're not doing well, it's it it can't hurt to let them know uh, that you're there for them. That uh, that you know, if something is wrong, uh, that you'd like to be there for them to have that conversation. Because even if you are wrong, even if everything's fine, and you know they kind of push you back, um, you know at least they know that you care and uh, and that you're there for them. And, you know, maybe they're not ready to open up or have a conversation, but, you know, just kind of pressing communication, I think, is uh, it is an important thing. So whether you are on the side of, um, you know, you recently lost somebody and you don't know what to say or who to talk to, you know the people around you that uh, that love you and that you care about. And if you open up to any of them, it's probably going to be a pretty good conversation. Uh, if you're somebody that's hurting and you feel like you're alone and don't know what to do and you feel desperate, you know, open up to people. Uh, I think you'll find that you have more people that would be there for you than you realize. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we did talk a little bit, too, before, and I, I think it bears worth mentioning in this. Um, we kind of talked about the endurance of the people that are around somebody right. who has been um, who's been suffering and, and, and the fact that um, it, it wears everybody down. You might start to withdraw a little bit from that because you're just right. kind of getting tired of having to... Right. Deal with a, a mind. We talk called right. the minds blowing up in our face, you right. know, pretty so, regularly. Some people just have a hard time communicating about their emotions. They hold it in. They bottle it in. It builds up and kind of blows up. Uh, and when you're around that kind of thing, uh, you know, if somebody isn't going to communicate with you and you're there and you want to try to help, but they're not opening up, and then all of a sudden it's just a bomb that goes off in your face. Uh, what we were talking about is whether it's uh, suicide or whether it's drug abuse or whether it's anything in life where you need help. If if you keep doing that where you keep kind of blowing up or needing everybody around you, but then when they try and help, you don't take their help, uh, you know, uh, maybe you, you relapse or you push people away or you end up making some other attempt on your life. Um, the concern is that every time you put everybody through that, you're basically I, that there's a price there's an emotional price a toll uh, and people tend to only have so much stamina before they start thinking about it like 
putting their hand on the red hot iron. Mm -hmm. Every time you try, it doesn't seem to help, but the bomb still goes off in your face. And so uh, the more you kind of go through those cycles where uh, you you keep, uh, you know, making these, uh, you know, overtures, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, cutting or or taking pills or whatever if you let people know that you're serious and 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 make an attempt to hurt yourself every time you do that you're going to find that that support structure tends to uh thin out a bit yeah and uh, i think i would yeah. like to add though uh yeah if there is i mean i don't know if there is someone listening having a tough time uh by all means, don't stop reaching out. No, 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 no. And remember, I, and so uh, what everybody yeah. doesn't get is the three-way conversation we yeah. had with a couple of martinis where yeah. we talked about this. Um, and it was that, you know, you're right. You can't yeah. rationalize with somebody in pain. You just don't want to. Right. But, but if you're the one who's, you know, wearing the shields because the bomb keeps going off in your face on mm. a repeated basis, you, you'll feel worn out. You'll right. feel worn down. You'll feel the tendency to want to withdraw because that's right. our natural tendency. But don't. Yeah. And because yeah. it... it you know, somebody definitely is hurting in there and as exhausted as you may be, either get help to keep moving forward with that person, but giving up can be honestly a matter of life and death. Right. If you know anyone or yourself is considering suicide and you need to reach out for help, you can call 24 hours a day, every day, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. Thank you again for listening to One Broken Mom Radio. I'm totally going to nail that one and make that one stay. Um, if you have any ideas for topics or subjects that we can cover on the podcast, you are welcome to visit my website at www.amiquiricone.com. The link is also in the podcast description. I want to thank you again for sharing your time with us, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you soon. One Broken Mom is recorded at Beehive Sound in our lovely little town of Snohomish, Washington. I'd like to thank the audio engineer, Sean Walker, behind the glass for all of his help. And you guys have a great day.